The Frankie Files. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 50 of the Frankie Files podcast. Intro to gaslighting. Well, this is a term that is very popular, and a lot of people don't really know what it means. So let me start by laying a foundation. Cults, coercion, and sexuality in society. These are the topics for the Frankie Files. I'm Frankie Tease, your host, and I'll continue to focus on my own family story as well as news and recovery info for those who've survived, especially the adult children of cults. New each Tuesday. See FrankieFilesPodcast.com for more. I first heard the term on Frasier, the TV show, in about 2015 or so, watching some reruns. And even though I had very intensely experienced this thing, this psychological technique, all my life, I was definitely not familiar with the term. See, when you go to a cult, and especially the kids um, or sexual assault victims, this is Second Tuesday, and I want to shout out to you guys, my people, um, the, the reason that we have to deal with this type of thing is they just literally want us to go away and disappear. I have community college level education on psychology, but this is an extremely popular means of disability. If you want to quiet someone, using this is very effective, and it also scales very well. I want to use an article by Paige L. Sweet, assistant professor of sociology at University of Michigan. And the article is entitled, How Gaslighting Manipulates Reality. This is great. Right up our alley here on Frankie Files. Let's get going. Paige L. Sweets points out the term was popularized in a 1944 film called Gaslight. That film was adapted from the 30s play called Gaslight. This article explains, quote, the protagonist... Husband secretly dims and brightens the gas-powered indoor lights and insists she is imagining it, making her believe she's insane. End quote. So the term crazy-making was applied to this at some point, a very common thing in politics, legal battles, and such. When you crazy-make, deliberately cause someone to doubt their very instincts in life, you discredit them. And when you think about this, it's truly the perfect crime to disable any adversary. It leaves no marks. It leaves no evidence. It lasts forever, disabling the intended subject. Because remember, when this is truly run on someone, it leaves them doubting themselves and their own insanity, unless they know it's coming and it doesn't work once you know it's coming. How much more intense an attack can there be? Paige L. Sweet also states that sociologist Catherine Ferraro says the result is called surreality of abusive relationships or what scholars and activists Beth E. Ritchie refers to as a hostile social environment. My thoughts? 
Wow. Now add artificial intelligence to this and you may have a social media hostile environment. Remember, one voice speaking out may begin the undoing of a large network which seeks to end any exposure by any means necessary. People have no idea how much is made from secret societies and cults, corporations which turn a blind eye and need silence and compliance to run their scams. Someone going against that, just one person, is 100% liability. It's in all the drug and mob movies. It's in espionage films. They can't let leaks go on. It's disruptive to business or the group's goals, usually business or money, The number one way to safeguard the cult, corporation, etc. is to silence all whistleblowers, silence all dissenting voices by discrediting them. This is by getting people all around the threat to help them in underhanded and secret campaigns. So the harsh reality is that when we choose to speak truth to power, In the cult space, or any space, we're also speaking up against systems of control put in place to quell dissenting voices. I'd like to call that auto-gaslighting. Auto-gaslighting is now in play. The Twitter files has recently revealed by journalist Matt Taibbi that multiple forms of three-letter agencies in the United States have openly set up a system of control on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. Those are provable. This is not just about law-breaking. That's not what they're censoring. It's about narration control by corporations, and it is about profit, and not the kind of profit who comes out of a cave preaching new wisdoms for mankind. Profit, you know, cash, the very elite, the privileged minority protecting that money line that they have. The system is so rigged. Very few even experience this type of wealth, and these that do control it and keep it among a few. Just a fact. The more we look around, the more we see that the United States is being run by oligarchs. What are you talking about, you may be thinking? Huh? Sounds like a conspiracy. But it's not hidden in the least. In fact, let me show you how it's right out in the open. So let's put this to the test. Remember, gaslighting is running a game on someone, like the film Gaslight does. The husband needed the woman to think she was crazy to get her property. There's a motive. Okay, with the recent COVID pandemic, we all got an eyeful of how the world works. I can only speak for California, because that's where I have experience. And California in America... Right away, the health department had retribution and shame campaign to enforce cooperation. It was downright Orwellian. People were all trying to do long walks or recreation at the beach since we had to have, you know, shelter in place. And they actually closed the beach. People in Huntington Beach were outraged. They protested at the beach with signs saying our beach. I mean, that is the illusion, right? I had that too. Come to find out, 
it's not our beach. They made a concession to avoid embarrassment of Governor Newsom, saying people could walk, not assemble at the beach. The outrage continued. If we're outdoors, well ventilated, how can this assembly be a risk to get COVID? Answers didn't really come. Then we got the shock of which businesses were marked essential. And it was a shock. Example, my mom's friend's son has a knife sharpening business. And that was considered essential because there was some kind of contract with military or city. Not sure the specifics, but we were all left to conjecture that part. What makes a business essential? Later to find out that COVID is airborne and cold-like symptoms can be treated with vitamin D and so many anti-inflammatory remedies. It became a question, are you trying to keep people well or are you trying to sell vaccines? And then nothing really made much sense after that, other than we were not getting the straight story. And this is just one example but quite a clear one that if you have a goal that cannot be agreed with, gaslighting is a great way to get her done. Crazy making, discrediting someone, it's the go-to. Based on the fact that as humans, we all have the need to belong. Being ejected in a Lord of the Flies type manner can devastate someone. Cults use that too but religion as a whole shares this with government. Finding clever ways to get people to go along with an agenda through tricks seems to be the first tactic. If that doesn't work, discredit the voice. If that doesn't work, disappear them. So gaslighting is psychological criminal behavior done in a clever, underhanded way. It's amazing how naive I've been in the past to think that it was so simple. If an idea could stand the light of day, it would be popular and successful, right? (laughs) No, that's not it. Coercion makes the world go round. I now believe most people don't even know 90% of what they go along with. Why? Because real agendas by criminals are never revealed. And criminals are running the world. Big picture. Recognizing when gaslighting is turned on you or someone else is a key to at least have a fighting chance of recognizing someone's unhealthy agenda. It's easier to spot from a jealous friend or a schoolmate. It's much harder to spot when it's a state agenda a corporate financially driven agenda because it's so big with multiple moving parts. Getting back to Paige Sweet's article, she says, even though everyone seems to be talking about gaslighting, this type of abuse is just getting started to be studied using systematic social scientific data. Although we tend to think of gaslighting as a problem between two people in a relationship, it also unfolds as part of an unequal social context. Gaslighting feeds off social vulnerabilities and stereotypes. 
Paige L. Sweets calls us to, quote, ask, who is establishing power and authority and how? Note to cult kids, our social standing was 100% compromised by growing up in a cult. Her summary, Paige says gaslighting is harmful, not only because it draws from and exacerbates social inequalities, but because it becomes internalized in a context of isolation, making one question one's sense of self. Uh, That it does. The Frankie Files. In 1937, the Depression era, concerns that Americans in USA were vulnerable to extremist ideologies led to the creation of the Institute for Propaganda Analysis, the IPA. No, guys, not the beer. The IPA defined propaganda as expression of opinion or action by individuals or groups deliberately designed to influence opinions or actions of other individuals or groups with reference to predetermined ends. Emphasis. My comment is I like this wording a lot, with reference to predetermined ends. In other words, is damn manipulative. The article continues, they went on, the IPA that is, to teach U.S. citizens how to recognize propaganda, how to analyze it, and how to appraise it. Savvy propagandists draw their power in large part from the fact that their targets are not aware that propaganda is being used on them. Propaganda is not a magic show, but a con, says Spencer on the psychologytoday.com article. A mind not trained to detect and neutralize propaganda is a gullible mind, ripe for the swindle, he continues. So I looked up this article and it was glorious. He was referring to Institute for Propaganda Analysis, an independent board, mainly educators, from 1937 to 1942. Just taking a pause there, this, um, according to Wikipedia, and I'll get into a lot more about this document created by the IPA in a moment. Why did it stop existing in 1942? Because they decided to stop teaching us about propaganda and instead started using it? but I want to hover here a moment. How did it start? I went to researchworks.oclc.org archive grid, which is a New York library description of the boxes you can see in person. The IPA was founded in New York City in 37 by a group of scholars in the social sciences for the purpose of assisting the public to detect and analyze propaganda. It conducted research into the methods by which public opinion is influenced, published analysis of current problems, and promoted the establishment of study groups in public schools for detecting propaganda. It published a monthly bulletin, Propaganda Analysis, from 37 to 41. The organization was dormant during World War II, and in 50, all formal operations ceased. The personnel were executive directors Clyde R. Miller and Alfred McClung Lee with members of the Institute's advisory committee and others. Correspondence relates in part to the preparation of propaganda analysis and to the allegations that some of the officers were communists or communist sympathizers. Other topics are the funding and operations of the IPA, board elections and research projects. Financial records include statements and audit records, Also, press releases, circular letters, ballots for board elections, certificates of copyright registration, 
drafts of IPA publications, and printed ephemera. Anyone in New York? <laughs> Again, researchworks.oclc.org. And that is some material, original material from the Institute for Propaganda Analysis. Okay, so there's a lot to cover here. A little bit more about the IPA. From sourcewatch.com, the Institute of Propaganda Analysis was a U.S.-based organization composed of social scientists, opinion leaders, historians, educators, and journalists, created in 37 by Mather, Edward Kirtley Mather, Edward A. Filene, and Clyde Miller. The IPA formed the general concern that increased amounts of propaganda were decreasing the public's ability to develop their own critical thoughts. The purpose of the IPA was to spark rational thinking and provide a guide to help the public have well-informed discussions on current issues, to teach people how to think rather than what to think. The IPA focused on domestic propaganda issues that might become possible threats to the democratic ways of life. The former head of the IPA was Hadley Cantrell. I feel like I'm in a gold mine digging nuggets out right now. From masscommunicationtalk.com, I read this. During the four years of its existence, the Institute was quite productive, generating numerous pamphlets, books, and articles explaining how propaganda works. Read more about propaganda techniques in the box entitled Applying the Seven Propaganda Techniques. The Institute was successful in developing an anti-propaganda curriculum adopted by high schools and adult education programs across the country. It was so successful that it came under attack for undermining the effectiveness of propaganda techniques seen as essential to defending democracy. (laughs) Stop it. We can't use propaganda anymore. You better stop teaching these people. So it ended in 1942, many sites list, and never came back. I will recommend an experience for you. You're going to have to take this down, and I'll put this particular link in the description. The link in the description, archive.org forward slash details forward slash IPA volume one, is an audio or visual book to read, which is 101 pages and is original material from the IPA back then. It's a great find. I highly recommend it, and we'll put this link in the description of this episode. I'm going to be reading it myself. But the glaring question here, why did a board made up of teachers and diplomats to help Americans fend off propaganda end? I finally found the answer to that, but not to who funded the Institute. Though it seems clear enough, it was not government subsidized, making it even clearer of who may have ended it. Because they needed to use propaganda, the American government. And the organization doesn't exist, so we know who won. So this next part is pretty much a lot of dense information. It's definitely worth reading the articles at consilienceproject.org. C-O-N-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E project.org. This article, written by their group, includes much research on propaganda in USA through time, starting with the ending of the IPA in 42. Why did it end? I found my answer here. October 2021. Counteroffensives in propaganda were needed. The war mobilization efforts for World War II mark another watershed in the history of propaganda. The Institute for Propaganda Analysis was arguing against propaganda 
when all the strongest arguments in favor of rebooting American propaganda efforts were gaining traction. The position of the IPA became untenable. They became subject to attack and slander, accused of aiding the enemy. But why? Justifications for the use of modern propaganda can be found in the political science of the late 19th century that grappled with the implications of Darwin and Freud. This period of social theory marks the beginning of the eclipse of rationalism. Intellectuals and politicians would soon no longer believe that citizens of democracies could simply be understood as naturally rational, good, and self-possessed. The common refrain of pro-propaganda thinkers in the early 20th century was that individuals and crowds are fundamentally irrational. Anything resembling mass communication, therefore, should be implemented in light of realistic views of human nature. (laughs) So that was their excuse, sort of like because COVID. You're listening to The Frankie Files. FrankieFilesPodcast.com Excuse, humans are naturally irrational, which I don't agree with. Okay, continued. The general conclusion is that there is no choice but to engage in sloganeering, deploy simplistic rhetoric, and use provocative images. Propagandistic communication is the only way to deal with the irrational modern crowd. It's the only way to approach governance and public opinion in a modern urban society under conditions of broadcast communication, radio and TV at that time. And more to the point, if our side does not use these means, the other side will. The IPA was outgunned. The argument was over. Debates about protecting Americans from their own propaganda would not begin until after the war. World War II. The result this time was the Smith-Munt Act of 1948, which disallowed U.S. government agencies from targeting Americans with materials officially categorized as propaganda. Translation. In 1948, it was instated, so that was after World War II. Rosie the Riveter wouldn't exist without the World War II propaganda. Ironic, right? But the Smith-Munt Act, M-U-N-D-T, of 1948 is what they're pointing out at this article that um, stopped the U.S. from using propaganda on its own citizens. More recently, the article continues, the Obama administration rolled back many of these protections. That was in 2012 as a part of the War on Terror. That's why all the restrictions on people's income, if they say something wrong online, can be targeted because of these disregards to the Smith-Mund Act of 1948 that Obama put in place. It began the active operation of propaganda in the United States on its own people, 2012. Back to the article at conciliansproject.org. But what happens when governments pull the trigger on information campaigns targeting their own people? With the benefit of hindsight, we can now see what occurred in the lead up to World War I and the outcome when the full weight of government machinery gets behind a domestic propaganda campaign. For Bernays, the necessity of engineering consensus and orchestrating public opinion had already been demonstrated. On the basis of the evidence of recent history and along with most of those he influenced, he assumed the following claims. 
Okay, so this is what Bernays, the pro-propagandists, believes. Humans as individuals and in crowds are irrational. The public cannot be told complex truths. Modern conditions necessitate social control by information control. Ethically, information campaigns are preferable to physical force or overt coercion. And therefore, there is no useful operation difference between education and propaganda when dealing with the public. Now that's hard to stomach, huh? The article continues. Social media sites curate content using algorithms that optimize for virility and seek to keep eyes on sight. Attention drives ad revenues, so anything that arrests attention is valued. This business model of attention capture results in algorithms that curate content based on qualities that make them likely to prioritize the delivery of propaganda, such as catchiness, emotional intensity, and confirmation of held beliefs. The devastating result is that information warfare is driven inadvertently by the business models of the companies that produce and profit from our basic social technologies. Computational propaganda. Wait a minute. That term's new to me. Computational propaganda. Ooh, okay. AI stuff. Computational propaganda unfolds in the context of 24-7 screen access through which a great deal of identity formation now takes place. Mm. With this amount of time and investment in digital media that is overrun with manipulative interactions, limbic hijacking can turn to limbic overload. Limbic is a part of the brain. Seeing 10 propaganda billboards on your way to work is significantly different from engaging with 30 micro-targeted HD video ads on your way to work many of them deeply emotionally manipulative and conceptually complex. Okay, here is a document contained in this article, which I'm only reading portions of. It details how AI via the internet is delivering propaganda to us. It's entitled, Technology Trends Escalating Culture Wars, Manipulating Users for the Purpose of Advertising. First, the inability to distinguish commercial from non-commercially motivated information and AI sock puppets from real humans. Inability to distinguish honest information from intentional misinformation for strategic advantage. Decreased message length. Increased message frequency. Inability to track all message sources. Information overload. Faster forgetting less reflection. Mm, you know, that's right. The absence of shared overarching meta-narrative that could potentially reconcile conflicting information and perspectives. Escalating emotional intensity of information. Sanctimony. Outgroup antipathy. Normalization of weaponized language. Lies. Slander. Censorship. Politicization. I highly recommend this site, which I have bookmarked consilienceproject.org, C-O-N-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E, project.org. Now let's get to this document, this gold mine, the Institute for Propaganda Analysis. They put out this document, and it's still so on point. It's all still used by cults, politicians, advertisers, self-help gurus with a very heavy hand, and it's also used by the government. So the Institute for Propaganda Analysis in 1937 put out bulletins every month. 
But one of their documents created, this was circulated even in high schools for curriculum, the ABCs of Propaganda. And I found this full document on infogalactic.com. Name-calling. Name-calling is abusive or insulting language referring to a person or group of verbal abuse. This phenomenon is studied by a variety of academic disciplines from anthropology to child psychology to politics. It's also studied by rhetoricians and a variety of other disciplines that study propaganda technique and their causes and effects. The technique is most frequently employed within political discourse and school systems in an attempt to negatively impact their opponent. Number two of seven, a glittering generality, also called glowing generality, is an emotionally appealing phrase so closely associated with highly valued concepts and beliefs that it carries conviction without supporting information or reason. Such highly valued concepts attract general approval and acclaim. Their appeal is to emotions such as love of country and home, and desire for peace, freedom, glory, and honor. They ask for approval without examination of the reason. They are typically used by politicians and propagandists. Note to self, cult leaders. Number three, transfer. Transfer is a technique used in propaganda and advertising, also known as association. This is a technique of projecting positive or negative qualities, praise or blame, of a person, entity, object, or value, an individual, group, organization, nation, patriotism, etc., to another in order to make the second more acceptable or to discredit it. It evokes an emotional response, which stimulates the target to identify with recognized authorities. Often highly visual, this technique often uses symbols superimposed over other visual images. An example of common use of this technique in the United States is for the present to be filmed or photographed in front of the country's flag. Another technique used is celebrity endorsement. Number four, testimonial. In promotion and advertising, a testimonial or show consists of a person's written or spoken statement extolling the virtue of a product. The term testimonial most commonly applies to the sales pitches attributed to the ordinary citizens, whereas the word endorsement usually applies to pitches by celebrities. Testimonials can be part of communal marketing. Five of seven, plain folks is a form of propaganda and logical fallacy. A plain folks argument is one in which the speaker presents him or herself as an average Joe, a common person who can understand and empathize with listeners' concerns. The most important part of this appeal is the speaker's portrayal of themselves as someone who had a similar experience to the listener and knows why they may be skeptical or cautious about accepting the speaker's point of view. In this way, the speaker gives the audience a sense of trust and comfort believing that the speaker and the audience share common goals. Thus, they should agree with the speaker. Also using an ordinary background, such as a park or a building, which usually give it a higher possibility of more customers. Number six of seven, and remember, this is written between 37 and 42. 
Card stacking. Card stacking is a propaganda technique that seeks to manipulate audience perception of an issue by emphasizing one side and repressing another. Such emphasis may be achieved through media bias or the use of one-sided testimonials or by simply censoring the voice of the critic. The technique is commonly used in persuasive speeches by political candidates to discredit their opponents and to make themselves seem more worthy. The term originates from the magician's gimmick of stacking the deck, which involves presenting a deck of cards that appear to have been randomly shuffled, but which in fact stacked in a specific order. The magician knows the order and is able to control the outcome of the trick. In poker, cards can be stacked so that certain hands are dealt to certain players. The phenomenon can be applied to any subject and has wide applications. Whenever a broad spectrum of information exists, appearances can be rigged by highlighting some facts and ignoring others. Card stacking can be a tool of advocacy groups or of those groups with specific agendas. Like an enlistment poster might focus upon an impressive picture with words such as travel and adventure while placing the words enlist for two to four years at the bottom in a smaller and less noticeable point size. And finally, number seven on the propaganda most used techniques, the bandwagon effect. The bandwagon effect is a phenomenon whereby the rate of uptake of beliefs, ideas, fads, and trends increases the more that they have already been adopted by others. In other words, the bandwagon effect is characterized by the probability of individuals adopting increasing with respect to the proportion who've already done so. In other words, it's popular. Side note, fear of missing out. Same thing. As more people come to believe in something, others also hop on the bandwagon, regardless of the underlying evidence. The tendency to follow the actions or beliefs of others can occur because individuals directly prefer to conform or because individuals derive information from others. Both explanations have been used for evidence of conformity in psychological experiments. The increasing popularity of a product or phenomenon encourages more people to get on the bandwagon too. The bandwagon effect explains why there are fashion trends. When individuals make rational choices based on the information they receive from others, economists have proposed that information cascades can quickly form in which people decide to ignore their personal information signals and follow the behavior of others. Cascades explain why behavior is fragile. People understand that they are based on very limited information. As a result, fads form easily, but are also easily dislodged. Such informational effects have been used to explain political bandwagons. These ABCs of propaganda analysis encouraged readers to understand and analyze their own views on propagandistic material in order to promote informed, thought-provoking discussions. The IPA maintains the reason it suspended its operation in 42 was due to lack of sufficient funds and not the war. Well, if I didn't know better, I'd say that the U.S. government went ahead and squelched this because they needed to use propaganda on us. 
Look at the frequency of its use, increased frequency of its use regarding war, politics, the allowance of cults, and various health care mandates and regulation. The propaganda is driven by corporations and efforts to control the stock market, to name a couple of major influences. Thanks, everybody. I hope you made it through this episode. There was a lot to digest here. I may need to even listen to this again, and I'll be checking out these websites. There was so much material. As usual, mind control and propaganda is proving to be a very worthwhile topic. Thanks for learning with me and listening. If you like the content, please share it with a friend or two. And if you want to contribute, please see FrankieFilesPodcast.com for subscription and donation options. You're listening to The Frankie Files. FrankieFilesPodcast.com